Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes who were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you remember those days in school when you were getting ready to play sports and you had to pick teams? Do you remember? Two captains and then everybody else would line up and they would pick first pick, second pick, third pick and work through all the best players until they got to you or me. I mean, I really wasn't very good at sports in school. I remember that feeling of just being left out, a feeling like you didn't belong, a feeling like you weren't wanted. Do you remember what that's like? Is that burned into your memory as well? Maybe you have the privilege of, of never having experienced that. Um, well, I really wasn't very good at sports in school. I remember one sports day uh, running in a race and straining to finish because I, I was sure I heard somebody running behind me, straining not to finish last. And I, I got to the tape and dipped over, well, not the tape, long gone. I, I dipped over the line, looked behind me to see who I'd beaten and there was nobody there. It was all the figment of my imagination that I'd, I'd actually beaten somebody for once. Really wasn't very good at sports in school until Mr. Large turned up. Mr. Large was a new teacher at our school and he really was large. He lived up to his name. He was a, a massive Canadian um, ginger guy who was obsessed with ice hockey. He really loved ice hockey and he taught us to love it too, although we didn't play it on ice. Um, living in Southeast Asia, there wasn't an awful lot of ice around. So we got rollerblades. It was kind of mid-90s, the time when rollerblades were getting popular. And the whole school went mad for roller hockey. We'd play it. Breakfast, um, lunch break, after school, until it was dark, we played all sorts of games of roller hockey. And we didn't just play, we kept stats on it as well. And guess who came out top of the assists column when it came to ice, well, roller hockey stats? Me. <laughs> Assists are the, kind of the, the person who makes the last pass before they score a goal. So the person who creates goals. I came top of the list and suddenly I was getting picked for teams. It was like I was wanted. People saw me. I belonged. It was an amazing feeling. I wonder if you've ever had that kind of thing. I wonder what place you were, or whether you were last on the list or whether you were first on the team sheet. Maybe you were that person who was always in the ear of the captain saying, oh, pick them, pick them. Oh, don't pick them. We don't want that person on our team. Well, it's that kind of situation and those kind of feelings that run through the passage that we read today, run through our story, the story of Levi, the tax collector. Now, I don't know any tax collectors personally. I mean, they're not exactly the most popular of people, though, um, today. But in Jesus's day, they really were the bottom of the social ladder. These were people who had sold their souls to the Romans, the Romans who were oppressing people. The Romans would come along and they want tax from a region or from a city or from a town. And then they would employ local people, local people who belonged to those towns to collect the tax. And once they'd collected whatever the Romans wanted, then they were free with the Roman power behind them. I mean, nobody could touch them. So they were free to collect whatever they wanted from everybody else. And, and they made the most of it. They had a really horrible reputation for ripping people off, for betraying the people around them. They were people who committed social suicide. I mean, even if it was lucrative and wealthy and it kind of made them secure financially, they were people who had no real friends. Just imagine what that would be like today. I mean, can imagine tax collectors being something like payday loan sharks. 
put yourself in a situation like that. I mean, maybe you don't need to put yourself in it. Maybe that's what you're in right now. Um, but imagine that, that, that the bills are piling up. You take out a payday loan and the next month you have to take another one and a bigger one and a bigger one and, and the debt's piling up and you just can't see through it. And then there's the knock at the door and then the foot in the door before you realise who it was and they start to take and take and take and take much more than they should take and they leave you with nothing. That night you don't even have food to give to your children. So a few days later you've got your voucher and you head down to the food bank trying to put your life back together. You get your food from those kind people down there and and then as you're leaving you look across the road and you see a Range Rover pull up and you see a bunch of lads get out and at the at the front of this group is is that debt collector and he goes into the Indian restaurant and he has this huge all-you-can-eat meal with all of his friends and he pays for everybody and he pays with your money and the money of your friends and the money of other people who he's ripped off just imagine what you'd be feeling in that moment can you imagine imagine what that would be like that sense of injustice that sense of burning anger it's just not right and so imagine if Jesus could walk into that situation into your life what would you want him to say what would you want him to do well that's the situation in the story today Jesus is famous when he turns up in this town, famous for putting things back together again, famous for fixing people's lives, famous for healing and and for speaking amazing words, famous for putting powerful people in their place, for speaking truth to power, famous for not caring what anybody thinks, but doing what's right and saying what's true. That's who Jesus is. And so he turns up at this town, walks past the tax collector's booth. And what do you want him to say? You want him to turn and say, Levi, how dare you? Levi, you get out of this town and you stop it right now. Levi, why are you wasting your life? You want him to say something like that, but Jesus turns. The crowd goes silent, waiting for him to give this guy what he deserves. And then Jesus says something that nobody expects. Follow me. Follow me. And can you hear that? Can you feel that ripple go through the crowd? I mean, what on earth is Jesus doing asking this guy to follow him? Uh, we know Jesus is not from this town, so maybe he's confused. But no, everybody knows what these guys do who sit at these tables and count money like that. And everybody knows he's, Jesus knows. Why is he asking this guy to follow him? It's not just a strange thing for them. It's not just a surprise. It's deeply offensive. It's a hurtful thing that Jesus would think about forgiving this guy and calling him to be a part of his followers. But Jesus knows that. Jesus knows what it's going to cost him to bring Levi home. And he says it anyway. Follow me. Can you imagine what it's like for Levi? I mean, look at what he does. He just jumps up, leaves everything and follows Jesus. Imagine all of the eyes of the crowd burning into him. Imagine all of the bridges that he's burned with his employers, with his kind of friends or henchmen or whoever they are, with Imagine how much risk he's putting himself under. What's going to happen to his family and his children, all of those deals that he'd made before. Levi leaves his life behind, but he doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. He doesn't feel those eyes looking at him because his eyes are fixed on Jesus and he goes and follows him. Can you imagine the sense of freedom that Levi must have felt then when he got up and left it all behind and followed Jesus? I wonder, is there stuff in your life that you just wish you could leave behind? Stuff that you know shouldn't be there. Stuff that 
that just gives you this constant kind of low-grade fever of anxiety and guilt, of stuff that you've done in your past that you just can't seem to get away from, of failures in the present that make you always feel like you're just not measuring up. Maybe you're afraid for, for what you're capable of in the future. You just have this low-grade anxiety, always worried, always guilty, always never feeling like you measure up. Well, if that's you, if you're somebody who just wants to stand up and leave it all behind, then you need to follow Jesus, follow Levi's footsteps in following Jesus. And maybe it's a strange thing to think that the solution to all of that would be following this millennia-old rabbi, uh, this teacher, but it's not just a teacher that you'd be following. This guy is... God himself. Jesus is God walking amongst us who hasn't come to scold you, hasn't come to judge you, hasn't come to rub it in. He's come to seek you out, to see you, to find you, to call you to himself. He's come to say to us today, follow me. Have you heard his voice? I mean, some of us will be saying, well, of course I haven't heard his voice. I'm not hearing voices in my head, but some of you will know what I mean. Have you heard Jesus calling you Can you hear it? Can you feel that magnetic pull to come to him? Well, what do you need to leave? What do you need to say goodbye to? What do you need to turn away from so that you can turn towards Jesus? Whatever it is, Levi would say to you, it's worth it. I mean, look how much joy just explodes into his life in verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and gathered all the people that he could to come and share it with him. There's this spreading joy that comes from Levi and all that Jesus does for him. He's so happy. It's worth it. All that he's left behind, security, money, position, everything, it's worth it to follow Jesus. There was another guy who did that a couple of hundred years ago, a bit more recently, a man called John Newton. He was a slave trader. Just imagine that. He chose as his career to sail ships, to steal people, and to sell them. He chose to traffic in human souls and he, and he forgot about God. His mum, when he was younger, apparently had taught him how to pray, but he left that all behind, went off to be a slave trader. And one day he was caught in a storm, deep waves, thought he was going to die, and just screamed out to somebody next to him, perhaps God will have mercy on us, or something like that. And just saying mercy, just thinking that thought, it sent his life crashing down. He, I mean, why would he think about God? He hadn't thought about him for years. Why would he ask for mercy? He was somebody who was as far away from mercy as you could possibly think. But as he said those words, it was as if Jesus called him through the storm and turned his life the right way up again. And he survived. He made it through the storm, gave his life to Jesus, left the slavery all behind and joined the abolitionists. People like William Wilberforce, he worked with them to abolish slavery. And then he he wrote a song called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The last verse, he says it's worth it. When we've been there in heaven with Jesus, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, there's no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. John Newton would say it's worth it. Leave it all behind, whatever it is, leave it to follow Jesus. Well, it's not just spreading joy that's one of the reactions. I imagine that the crowd is looking around and, and thinking, Jesus, where's your sense of justice? Where's your sense of justice? I mean, this guy has taken food out of the mouths of children and you want him to follow you? I mean, how can you be good? How can, how can God be a good God 
and just sweep this guy's wrong under the under the carpet how can you want him to get away with it maybe the crowd would be not just thinking that but kind of whispering we want blood you can't just let him get away with it we want blood and jesus might reply okay you'll have blood but it won't be levi's blood it'll be mine It'll be the blood of the Son of God. You see a few scenes later in the story, turn to the end of Luke's story and you'll see Jesus hanging on a cross, dying. You'll see him pouring out his own blood. You'll see people walking past him and saying, there he is, he got what he deserved. But he really didn't. That is not what Jesus deserved. Jesus didn't deserve to die on a cross, screaming out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't deserve to be dying on a cross outside the city, cut off from everybody else abandoned by God and everybody except his mum and a couple of others. Jesus was abandoned even by God himself, not because of anything he'd done, but because of what we've done. See, at the cross, Jesus was paying Levi's debt. At the cross, Jesus was paying your debt and my debt so that we could come home, so that we could come into warmth and life, so that we could be forgiven so that we don't need to be condemned anymore by other people or by God or by ourselves. We can know freedom. There's this great verse in scripture that says, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's really amazing news for the world that, that we live in now, isn't it? I mean, maybe we still find it a little bit hard to believe, hard to think that that would be a just and right thing to do for God to just take that sin away and, and take it on his own shoulders but but what it does is make it possible for forgiveness to live for forgiveness to be in the world I mean what would it be like if we lived in a world without forgiveness I think it would be a nightmare um, every Friday night we have a, a film night in our family and a couple of a couple of uh, weeks ago we watched the BFG together the, the film version of the uh, Roald Dahl story the big friendly giant and the BFG is a great big giant who's very friendly who takes Sophie this little girl from an orphanage and she um, goes on wonderful adventures with him and one of the places that they go is is called dream country see the BFG's job if you like is to collect dreams and to go and and give them to people in the dead of night he collects dreams in dream country and some of them are good and some of them are bad and so they have this wonderful adventure collecting fizz wizards these beautiful wonderful dreams better than anything you've ever had but also troggle humpers great word isn't it troggle humper is a nightmare sophie asks what this nightmare is all about this one that they catch and the bfg listens to it do you know what it says this is what the dream says to you this is what the nightmare is look at what you have done and there be no forgiveness that's what the bfg says look at what you have done and there is no forgiveness that's the nightmare that the world would only be justice and no mercy, no forgiveness, no standing up and walking away and having life and forgiveness. It's a nightmare, but it's the world that we're creating around us, isn't it? If you are connected to social media at all, if you've heard about cancel culture, if you've just felt the kind of exhausted anger and disillusionment of people in our nation at the moment, if you've if you ever worried about saying something in case people are going to jump on you and pile on you and and shame you into submission if you can feel that exhaustion there is in this angry blaming and shaming world that we live in well then how amazing it is to have a place a non-accusing place to stand a place where there's no condemnation where 
God himself doesn't accuse you, even though you deserve it, even though you've done wrong and you should be put out and put far away and be nowhere near anybody else, even though we deserve that. Isn't it amazing that Jesus has come and brought at the foot of the cross a place, a non-accusing place where we can stand and be safe. That's what Jesus does. That's how he brings justice and mercy together in pouring out his own life for us. Maybe we still need to apologise to other people, but God will never bring our sins back to haunt us. He'll never bring up our past again. It's taken away, sunk deep into the depths of the sea. And so we can be clean. We can stand up. We can follow him. Whatever people think, whatever people say, you can fix your eyes on Jesus and walk with him. Well, maybe now is a good time for you to take up that opportunity and to pause the video for a moment and just to to pray, to come to Jesus and say, Lord, there's so much in my life that I want to walk away from. I want to thank you for, for the cross, that you've made it possible for me to walk away from it, that you made it possible for me to be forgiven. Maybe now's the time to pause it and come before God, to kneel down before him and say, I want to be like Levi. I want to be like John Newton. Because, you know, it's true, the one who called Levi, the one who called John Newton is alive today and he's calling you. So maybe now's the time to answer that call and come to him. There's one more reaction I want to look at before we finish up. One more reaction. It's the reaction of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's their simmering jealousy and judgmental and judgmental character. This kind of superiority that they have. It's not jealousy because, you know, Jesus doesn't eat with them, because he did plenty of times. He went for dinner loads with Pharisees and people like this. In fact, maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, was a verse where Jesus was speaking to one of these religious leaders. Jesus loved these people and called them to come and follow him as well. So they're not jealous about him eating with them and not with us. What they're jealous, what they're judgmental about, what they're feeling superior about is is that, I mean, surely God wouldn't want to spend time with these other people, wouldn't he? I mean, if God is good, then he wants to, he would want to spend time with good people. And we are the good people. That's what they're thinking anyway. We're the good people. And so why would he ever want to spend time with them? They're not like us, like us rule keepers, like us who have been doing good and being serious about morality and good values and, and being proper and doing all of these things. You see, these Pharisees, these teachers, they get themselves in a really dangerous position. I said earlier on that, that there's nothing we could do. There's nothing, nothing so bad that it could keep us from the Lord Jesus, that it could keep us from forgiving, uh, from him forgiving us. Nothing so bad that it could keep you away from him. Well, these people are too good for him. They're too good, at least in their own estimation. And it's, it's something we need to really be careful about. It's something, a danger that we need to be aware of when we don't realise that we're sick. And it's possible to be sick in a number of different ways, isn't it? And think that you can just treat yourself, that you can fix up yourself, that you don't need to come to the foot of the cross. You don't need to come to the, the great physician, to come to Jesus and have him heal you and fix you. There's nothing you really need to walk away from because you've done it all in your own strength. You've, you've done it well. That's what these people are like. And they're in greatest danger in the story. They're the only people that can't come to Jesus but it's not Jesus that keeps them away. It's themselves. It's their own goodness. It's their own pride. Until they humble themselves, until they realise that they're a mess just as much as everybody else, until you realise that you need a doctor and I need a doctor and everybody needs a doctor. 
That's why he says this last line, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And not only the sick, but it's, it's people who are sick who realise that they're sick and realise that they need help. Those are the people who come to Jesus in humility. It's the people who know that they're not better than anybody else. It's the people who know that they're not more moral, who know that they're not more, more worthy. It's the people who are humble, who know that they've got nothing in their hands to bring. And so they just come and cling, cling to the cross. And is that you? Where do you stand? Are you somebody who stands in Levi's shoes, who says, what, me? You want me? Is that you? As somebody who just can't believe, who's just blown away that God would want you? Well, if that's you, then don't hold back. Don't keep your seat. Stand up, walk away, and walk with Jesus. Shout that welcome to others. Live in his welcome and spread that joy like Levi did. But maybe you're not Levi. Maybe you're somebody who doesn't really realise that you need a doctor. Well then, let's pray. Let's pray that God would open our eyes to help us see what we're really like. That he would switch on our spiritual nerve endings, if you like, to feel our sickness and open our eyes to see the doctor and give us the humility to get up, to leave it all and to follow him into life.